Good morning. Welcome to Secret to My Success. My name is Alan Bornstein, and I'm here with... Luis Alasea. Good morning, everyone. Happy to be here once again in this beautiful, beautiful morning. So we are here to talk to business owners about their journey, their venture, how they went from being employed by somebody to being self-employed. Luis brought some amazing guests in here that have played professional sports, football, baseball. Football, baseball, uh, basketball, and uh, golf. We've had some wonderful people, and this is about learning their secret to their success to help you grow your business. Thanks for being here with us this morning. We're so glad you could be here. If you have an interesting story, if you know somebody, that you think we should be talking to, we'd like to hear from you. You can reach me, Alan, 561-953-2007 at extension 101. Once again, my name is Alan. Secret to my success, 561-953-2007, extension 101. Please call us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Good day. This is Alan. Secret to my success here with Dawn. Scream, Dawn. Hi, Alan. Hi, Dawn. And we also have our guest host today, Mr. Marcelo Chinsky. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I, I believe I just stole your line. You did. <laughs> Let me Sorry. ask you a question. Yes. When you were a kid, did anybody make fun of you having a last name of Chinsky? No. Chinsky. You didn't nope. hear anything? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Really? Correct, yes. So what did they make fun of you for? Uh, nothing, really. I was Nothing, the, really? Yeah, really. What I was did they the, make fun of you for it? I was the best-looking guy in the whole Nothing. school. <laughs> I heard a lot of Jewish jokes because I grew up in a community where there was actually no Jewish people. Mm. You know? Like, they didn't understand. You don't celebrate Christmas? Oh, my. What did you do wrong? It was pretty bad. So, Marcelo, what do you think? Are you done celebrating World Cup? World Cup is now over. We're all set with the Premier League. It started with Boxing Day matches which would have been yesterday. It was great. Started at 7.30 with Tottenham. Uh, Manchester United plays today at 3 o'clock, so uh, we better be out of here by then so I can follow. Okay, so I need everybody to know, if you are ever at one of those little competitions in the bar, Marcelo is Dr. UK, doctor of useless knowledge. He has more trivia crap in his head than anyone that I know. Um. Thank you very much. However, you must not know a lot of people because there's a lot of people that know a lot more of this stuff than I do. Um, my my downfall are usually like Disney movies because I'm not a big fan of the Disney movies um, and some of the heavy-duty science questions. Okay. On that note, thank you very much, Dr. UK. Hey, you're very welcome. Love having you here. That's incredible, Dr. UK. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name that I gave him. Yes, Dr. UK. So we actually have a guest here. We have Mad Mike. Mike, introduce yourself. Well, hi. I actually have adopted Monster Mike, Monster but it's Mike. a little bit antiquated. <laughs> oh, and I'm calling him Mad Mike. It's Monster Mike. Monster Mike at MonsterMike.com if you had to look me up. It, is it really MonsterMike.com? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Um, uh, MonsterMikeMortgage.com. Sorry. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're a mortgage guy. I am a mortgage guy. I am a mortgage guy. Yeah, broker and... Actually changing companies now to a FDIC bank. Okay. Uh, because they have a competitive edge that I just can't ignore. So the market, interest rates going up. I mean, it's crazy. It's got to be all over the place. It's a popular question that I get asked an awful lot. And there's uh, a range of optimism and pessimism. I, like, I think it's all optimism, right? Because we're talking about the end of a recession. The optimists on the 
on the one side think that it's six months and then we start to see a recovery interest rates will start to go down uh, probably a little closer to the truth given the rate that we print money uh, it'll be like uh, 18 months that's the other side of of the spectrum there so between six and 18 months we'll see uh, interest rates come back down to where they're not hurting housing prices for instance what's the best rate you've seen as these things keep going up so I looked it up because I somehow guessed that you might ask me that. <laughs> right. Wow. So um, I have to say APRs because I have to just say an interest rate. So an APR includes the expenses of a loan uh, calculated as a percent and added to the note rate. So that you get a global figure. It's how you compare to what. Okay. And uh, the range would be in the high fives to the up to the mid sixes. So when the interest a- APRs, rate- APRs, those are the APRs. So when the interest rate does go up, which market, is it the very high end market, the, the middle market, which one gets hurt the most? Or gets which sold the least or whichever way you want to look at it? <laughs> uh, also pretty common question. Uh, I had to dust off my memory on that one. <laughs> the, uh, the upper echelon of homes are more affected by interest rates. It might seem slower because a lot of the guys that are buying these bigger houses have, uh, uh, you know, cash flow, maybe mm-hmm. not on the taxes, but so they have like alternative means, like maybe a stock loan where they can get a three and a half percent rate and then, mm-hmm. you know, still buy their house. But, uh, you know, besides that, besides that, uh, it's the it's the upper homes, the homes above the medium range and, and the higher you go the more affected early and what is the medium hold, range so hold, hold on one second i'm going to give you an example five hundred thousand dollar home at today's interest rate versus yesterday's at three percent well it's what do you think I the mean, monthly I, payment difference would be they're saying that interest i mean i read an article yesterday saying that from say 10 or 14 months ago the average monthly payment has gone up around 95 percent Really? Yes. Gone up 95%. Well, think of interest rates having gone from below three to above six. Okay. So if you're paying $700 a month, you're now paying $1,300 a month. Yep. That's huge. Now, that's the quick ratio. You know, I have the calculator right here, so (laughs) I prefer not to use it. I'd rather just talk to my people. Okay. Don, you have a question. I could see it. No, no. I'm just, I'm listening. I'm good. Okay. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. Dawn is probably wondering how much house she can buy right now. Dawn's in real estate, so she's always wondering what's going on. (laughs) Okay. I I showed a couple houses this morning. That's why I was running a little late getting here. We can be friends. Thank you. So (laughs) now back to my question was, what was the median price range for a house that you had mentioned earlier? You know, it gets adjusted. Uh, It's probably around four fifty to five hundred thousand in Palm Beach County. It'll it'll range depending on the county. So is, so if I get closer to Miami, it's probably going, that median range is probably going up. Yeah, Broward and mm-hmm. then Miami. And then if I head towards, say, up towards Port St. Lucie or maybe out towards... It'll um, gear down into maybe the high threes or the low fours. Okay. So that gives me an, gives us an idea. Probably low fours, I should say, of, but yeah. Yeah, it gives us an idea of when you say median price and and the yeah. and the price is downward uh in the same article about uh the interest rates we see pricing 
nationally has gone down 10 months in a row, 10 or mm-hmm. 11 months. So f- Miami or whatever, Florida will mm-hmm. be last to react to that national trend because we're a destination state where our state is run very well and uh, with a good economy, mm-hmm. a lot of growth prospects. You know, there's a lot to say good about Florida. So people move here. I thought people are running from somewhere to be here. It well, seems like every crook and criminal <laughs> trying to blend in in Florida, right? And they're, no, it's them trying to leave the crazy states, you know? The ones that are affecting the price are the, leaving, the ones leaving the crazy states, as, as Don <laughs> suggested. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the other problem is prevalent, uh, probably not statistically evaluated. So let me ask. I am thinking about buying a new house. Sir? Usually the last thing I'm thinking about is my mortgage. I'm trying to figure out where I want to be, who's going to be my real estate agent. What truly separates? I mean, there's mortgage brokers everywhere. Well, it's, yeah, what makes you different? Um, Having a solid process to close is probably top of mind for the consumer. Uh, Interest rates or, you know, best pricing can be a factor, for uh, maybe 20% of the people, but I'd say, you know, 50% of people just want someone who makes the process smooth, picks up the phone when they call, closes on time, you know, makes them smile, you know, laughs at their jokes, um, <laughs> right? They just want a smooth process that's core. They want somebody that they feel comfortable uh, with. So, so I am self-employed and I actually take a W-2, right? Unlike a lot of people, I mean, I own a payroll company, so I take a W-2 and a payroll wage. And when I was trying to get my mortgage, it's funny. They're like, okay, so we have your W-2, but we need all your business information. I'm like, really? So if I work for somebody and I was getting a W-2, would you ask for their business information? Of course not. So, <laughs> I mean, it just seems so redundant that they make you jump through all these hoops. And, you know, I went through this process with another guy. He told me to take my... IRS returns down to the IRS and have them wet stamped. So I did. I went down there, dropped them off, and I'm getting ready to close. And he says, we don't have the transcripts. I'm like, okay. So I went back to the IRS and I said, well, who told you to do that? I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, well, because we stamped it and we took it. It's 10 weeks before you can get the transcript. And I call my broker at the time. I'm like, dude, the IRS is saying it's 10 weeks. And he says, what idiot told you to go down there and do that? I'm like, you did, you moron. I mean, I didn't cook it up. And they actually had to go back in there and change everything to a different loan program because I couldn't use two years. I had to use one year. And it was a nightmare. So do you actually like working with people that are self-employed? <laughs> well, you asked what separates me. I can do the hard stuff. You know, I navigate these waters, shark-infested as they are, for time, you know, for time spent. I'm 20 years in the business. Uh, I know where the dangerous spots are. I know where the gray area is. Uh, I know how to work through them, right? When when a situation arises, then you, you just, you figure, able to figure it out. Not too many new situations I haven't seen before. I was going to kill this guy. <laughs> and lucky for him, he passed away. So I didn't have to do that. But I mean, seriously, we're going through this whole thing. And they're on the phone. The mortgage company's on the phone with me sitting in front of an IRS agent, and they're yelling at him. They're yelling at the IRS agent. I'm like, dude, enough. They're not doing anything for us with you yelling and screaming at the agent. We actually need their help. Maybe you could figure out a smarter way to get something from them. On the transcripts thing, you actually have an instant access to your IRS website where you can pull down your transcripts 
should be the same hour. And that should be irs.gov. That's only if you're electronically filing. But once you wet stamp it, you're taking it to an office, and it takes eight weeks for them to get that uh, into yes. the system. So I couldn't get it. Understanding you. It yes. was a nightmare. And like I said, the brokers, I mean, the mortgage guy's asking me, well, what idiot told you to do it? I'm like, once again, I didn't invent this. This was your brilliance. <laughs> you know, and then they put me in another loan program and it cost me more. And they told me they were going to give me credits at the end. They didn't. I'm like, what are you doing? And then they came back to me and asked me to fill out a, you know, a survey about what they did. And I said, you really need to have somebody from your main office call me because if I fill this out, it's ugly. And the vice president called me up from this big company and he apologized up and down, gave me a whole bunch of money back and said, yeah, we dropped the ball. So it's really hard finding somebody who actually you like and trust to do this. So once again, your ability to do this and make this process a whole lot easier because every day they were coming to me looking for something else. You know, I'm ready for people that come to me on, on price, but really, you know, for the reasons you just explained, People want smooth service. They want a they want an optimist that, that talks to them on the phone and speaks candidly, you know, doesn't try to sneak up on their own client, I guess. Do you provide the client with like a checklist of look, here's what we need. If you're self employed, then we need this, this, and this. If you're just if you're regular employed, we need this, this, and this. Is that something that you do or do you or do you go through that with them ahead of time? How, I mean, how does it work? Both. I go through it with them ahead of time, and then I send them a needs list or a wish list or the things we need to close your loan, to you know, process and close your loan. It's a pretty finite list. Generally, if you have good record keeping, you mm-hmm. have it in a folder somewhere on your on your desktop. How did you get in this business? You said you've been doing it 20 years, and obviously you're a little older than 28. How did you get into this business? <laughs> well, I had a... Uh, Short, short story, right? Because I had a real estate license, uh, tried selling real estate, uh, had moderate success, mostly selling timeshares. And uh, fast forward to uh, a job where I went to China as a token American, hired to sell power cable and wire in the APEC region and discovering I really don't trust the Chinese, although I had some interesting experiences on the Great Wall and wandered around Beijing. But when I realized this wasn't gonna be something long-term, right, it was less than a year, then uh, the license in California is for mortgages is the same as the license for real estate at that time. So that dates me a little bit. So I said, well, I'm gonna try mortgages. And uh, so it's not like you had this burning desire when you're 18 years old saying, I'm gonna be a mortgage broker. <laughs> Uh, you might say that uh, I'm made to be self-employed. Right. Sure, we, we can appreciate that. I don't want to yes. say I'm hard to manage because uh, I really am <laughs> fun to work with, everybody. But, uh, yeah, so I was uh, ordained to be self-employed at something and uh, loving, you know, the sanctuary of, of numbers. It just made sense. Now, obviously, I've gotten a little older, and so I prefer talking to people and stopping to work on my calculator. Anyway. Yes. So that's how, that was it. Just kind of a, took a little left turn and you are now a mortgage broker. Yes, sir. And you started from where? I mean, were you with the company that was giving you some guidance or are you out there humping it, trying to figure out a way to do it? 
Worked at a company called uh, All Cal Mortgage, my first company in California, and uh, just it just caught fire. I, at the time, title companies could help you find business, and I started calling people with uh, first and seconds to consolidate their debt at a lower interest rate. And then I was looking at interest rates every day. Interest rates were at eight and a half, and they were either going to go up or down. So. From there, I made a bunch of preemptive locks because I thought the rates would go up. Mm-hmm. And when rates went up, my phone started going off the hook saying, did you lock my loan? Did you lock my loan? And I had. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, my first year of success, really. It just blew it up. That's awesome. Yeah. So you like being your own boss? Yeah. So I own my own business, and I joke around that I'm the meanest, most rottenest prick that I've ever had to work for. Everybody else gets to go on vacation, and I actually... Don't even know what a vacation looks like because I'm always taking work with me. I'm always making phone calls. I'm always there for my customers. And when you go out for a drink with the guy, his he brings both phones with him, and it's like, oh, this is great. And then it's like the phone rings, and it's like, shh, i got to talk to somebody. Well, it doesn't sound unfamiliar, <laughs> honestly. Right? Because uh, you want to be there for people, and a lot of times you're working when they're not. Right. So... I was getting texts last night from a client at 10 o'clock that told me they're not in the country and they forgot to process payroll and want to know what I could do for them. <laughs> so I get it, you know? It's a different mentality to work for yourself. In this business, one, you've got a lot of competition and you've got a lot of fellow mortgage brokers probably, how do I put this, humping the leg of realtors to try and get their business. So how do you get to separate yourself from those people that are competing in your space? You know, the... Bigger, better deal I just came across uh, going to all 50 states with an FDIC bank. They've come up with a way to pay realtors a commission. And I'm a little bit of a political animal, so I'll try to edit myself here. But you have brokers, basically, that have the best pricing. You have mortgage bankers, which are excluded from a number of laws that obscure the fact that brokers have the best pricing. And then you have FDIC banks, which have advantages over the other two combined. So I can share with the realtor uh, a two to four hour little video that if they check a box that said that they watched it, I give them a little, uh, what's that little square pattern that takes you to a website? Oh, the IR code. Uh, Yeah. The The IR IR code. The IR code. So I can give them an IR code. They can give it to their clients because often they're the first ones to talk to a potential client. And if the client goes there, fills out the application, I can pay the realtor, I have a point commission. Nice. Yeah. But are you still getting the best deal for the customer? Yes, because I take an extreme haircut on my compensation, um, but the bank holds their own paper. So they have an annuity-style compensation package that I see uh, in aggregate as time progresses with more loans that I close. Okay. But also the processing, which is such a huge part of the industry, is AI-based. If you guys have seen some of the stuff that AI can do, I mean, the attorneys are up in arms because they're afraid that you can ask your AI to write a a cause of action, you know, based on 28, you know, 1341. And and the thing, it'll write it out for you and get it before a judge and get to where you got to go. Wow. Without the attorney. So it's pretty interesting that you've made mortgages fun for us because most people would find that this subject is pretty darn boring. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm sensitive to how dry numbers can be. So let's talk about something else. We've got a f- about six, seven more minutes. You just came back from a cool vacation, right? Like you were <laughs> in this really awesome place. It wasn't Beijing, China, but you were where? Well, you know, tropical paradise here in Florida, right? But sometimes you just have to take a break. So I was in uh, in the Ukraine in the city of Kiev. Now, you weren't there with weapons or anything like that. You didn't sign up for the militia. Again, not wanting to date myself, you know, <laughs> all glory goes to God. Uh, my dad was in World War II, the Battle of the Bulge, Bridget Ramajan, the drop at D-Day, liberate the concentration clamps. If you saw uh, Easy Company movie or the Easy Company series. B- Band of Brothers. Yeah, Band of Brothers. He was next door to those guys in most of those scenes. Mm-hmm. I um, watched that movie with my uncle who was there as well, and he was giving me detailed explanations of everything that was going on. It was the coolest thing. So at five years old, I was getting bounced around on, on World War II stuff. But uh, Okay, so you're not, you might be a little too old to go over and fight in the Ukraine, but what were you doing in Kiev? And you weren't there for chicken. Not at, in the, yeah, that, that sounded funny. But uh, <laughs> no, I have uh, my best girl there. Okay. Yeah. Now, now is there a list? Or she's the best? Or she's the only? Yeah, you know, at some point you just stay with the best. Okay, so, so she's the best girl uh, and she's from <laughs> Ukraine. Yes, sir. She lives in Ukraine. Yes. And no. she said, hey, why don't you come visit me for a month? It would be a lot of fun. No, I started putting it together with her about a year ago. I was there ahead of the initial invasion. And uh, I, I listened to this guy, George Friedman, f- from Geopolitical Futures. He said it's never going to happen. Here's why, you know, and ran down a list of problems. And today we know that they're failing for those same list of problems. But so I had committed to coming back at this, you know, same time this year. So you're in Kiev, and I don't I don't think you went on a uh, you know a tour of the city, but what's well, it, what's it uh, what's it? Kiev is pretty secure, right? Kiev is the most secure area. But we see a lot of pictures here. How does it compare to the pictures that we get here? Buildings destroyed. Um. So let me set the the the, the footprint. So when stuff was coming down from Belarus and the mm-hmm. rail lines were still okay coming from the from the east. I would call up my girl, and she I could hear Elena. Okay. Yeah. I would call her up, and it was uh, gunfire in the background and rockets exploding. Wow. And she lived in an apartment not really near the center, mm-hmm. and she said at night it looked like the 4th of July. Wow. So, I mean, I, but to hear that, I mean, I felt I was closer then. Mm-hmm. Dur- during the time I was there, we had, you know, rockets, but uh, no small arms fire. Did you use a travel agent and— when you talked to them and said, hey, I want to go to Ukraine, were they thinking that you were out of your head? Uh, no, I relied on my, my best girl, Elena. So she booked so, all these flights for you? Uh, well, yeah. not. I mean, yeah, she. we agreed that flying into Warsaw and then, and then busing in or tra- taking the train in is the best way, safest way. You can't fly in, right, because they're shooting down the planes. Mm-hmm. You didn't so. think about having her meet you somewhere else? And you uh, decided you had to go to Kiev. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, so you were asking me about the surroundings and stuff. I did take tours of the city, like okay. all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, they had picked up a lot of the carnage left from the tanks they destroyed, mm-hmm. and a few of them they put on display. But what was cleared aside but left where it could be rapidly redeployed mm-hmm. was the anti-tank measures. Like if you've ever seen the game of jacks, they have those little spike things. Yes. They have big ones of those that uh, they used to block tank paths. 
Okay, now that you've been there and you've seen it firsthand, how do you compare what you've seen to what you're hearing on our media? Well, I got to say, I'm, uh, I don't get a lot of stuff that I rely on from our media. I follow the, the George Friedman guy. Uh, once in a while, I'll go to YouTube. Uh, George pretty much is pretty clear with his geopolitical maps. He's got maps of where the action is. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't help that Iran is lobbing in missiles from Crimea. I think they need to knock off. Uh, there's, a, there's a path for them to go south to where they can get into a position to where they can lob. Uh, rockets into Crimea. There's a uh, an additional uh, point of access to the east. Uh, shoot, uh, the one in the the north contested area, but the I think the Russians are pretty well dug in there. Mm-hmm. Um, they they could probably do a few more things tapping supply lines. How you win wars is you hit supply lines. So, as you take your tour, are is anything open? Like markets, or I take it movie theaters probably are not. They're, they're bombing but. the infrastructure, mm-hmm. so we have uh, four to ten hours a day of electricity, mm-hmm. and sometimes not all at once. You know, four hours now, four hours now, two hours then. Uh, it's a tough people. It's a hard life. We need to wrap this up, so let's talk. Go back to sir, Monster Mike. How would somebody reach you to? Talk about a mortgage, talk about getting information, maybe learning a little bit more in the marketplace. So there is monstermikemortgage.com. Uh, my LinkedIn website is probably uh, more global in what my efforts are. Uh, it's where I kind of break my news first. Uh, so your phone number? Uh, phone number 561-962-5835. One more time. Slowly. Slowly. <laughs> 561-962-5835. When do you want to talk to somebody in the process? Do you want to talk to them as they're looking? Do you want to talk to them when they found a place? When is it that you think that you can best provide information to somebody who's thinking about buying either it, it's residential and commercial? Residential and commercial business. Okay. Any loan secured by real estate. And at what point do you believe that engaging with you in a conversation makes the most amount of sense? I'm sure the realtors in the room would agree with me. You know, take a look ahead. Before they even have a, as soon as they think about it, they need to contact. Because your realtor is going to want you to be pre-qualified before you go see houses. Right. So, and it, a lot of times it's about brainstorming. You know, it's not always all in one. So, uh, I can tell you what you have to do, what things need to look like. At this time, the self-employed person might call me to understand how much income he has to claim for next year to qualify. Right. <laughs> Beautiful. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Monster Mike, we can't thank you enough. <laughs> Mad Monster Mike for being here with us. <laughs> Mad Monster Mike. Okay. Mad Monster Mike, the three M's. You're a good man. Good to meet with you, Alan. And I'm glad you made it back safe. When are you going back? I think she might hazard a visit over here, actually. Um, probably in the next month or two. Beautiful. Thank you. You got it. Thank you. Very fine. Thank you very much. When it comes to health coverage, you want solid value from a trustworthy company you can rely on. Florida Blue offers Medicare Advantage plans that can help you get more out of your health coverage. And don't you want more? 
Call Apple Insurance, your local agency for Florida Blue at 888-MY-BLUE-8 to have all your Medicare questions answered and learn about different options. Don't settle for less than the value and stability Florida Blue has delivered throughout the state of Florida to Medicare beneficiaries for more than 25 years. Value, security, knowledge, and trust. Blue Medicare from Florida Blue means more. Call Apple Insurance at 888-MY-BLUE-8 today to speak to a licensed agent about your Medicare Advantage options. That's 888-MY-BLUE-8. Apple Insurance and Florida Blue. Call 888-MY-BLUE-8 today. Florida Blue is an independent license of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Good day. This is Alan. Secret to my success here with Mr. Marcelo Chinsky. Yes, now, no longer World Cup winner because it's been over a week. You're no longer a winner. A winner. A winner. That's right. And now you're following baseball? Nope. Okay. Premier League started yesterday. Manchester United plays at 3 o'clock. Let's... <laughs> I can't watch soccer. <laughs> Let's talk about something more fun. Dawn. Hi, Alan. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. How was your Christmas? It was very nice. Yeah? Peaceful. What yeah. do you do for New Year's? Anything fun? No, probably not. Well, I mean, I'm going to say I'm going to hang out at home with Taylor. I was thinking about, you know, maybe a couple of friends, play games, just mellow. That's cool. You know? I was, yes. That's it. awesome. Marcel, anything fun? Um, over the weekend, uh, there was soccer. There was Chinese food. <laughs> um, there was watching football on Saturday with a bunch of friends over at uh, a local pub. Nice. Once oh. again, when you're in China, it's just food. Once we're in at the pub, it's beer <laughs> and, and crown. What are you playing for New Year's? Not sure yet, but hopefully it'll be good. Excellent. So we've had a pretty common theme with many of our guests that their family told them that when they were starting their own business, they were crazy. Don't do it. You have a job. You're doing well. Don't do it. And it's interesting that I had support. From my father. My brother was the one who always told me, cut it out, just go get a job, stop messing around, just go get a job. But my father, who was a social worker, was the one who always said, Alan, don't give up. Don't stop. You'll find the right one. You might fail a few times, but you cannot give up. And I think he was living his dream of being self-employed vicariously through me, and he encouraged me to do it. So we are bringing my father, Leonard Bornstein here as our guest to talk about his story. Hi, Leonard. Dad. Yay! <laughs> say something funny, Dad. Well, I, I'm not a comedian, so if I say something funny and you don't laugh, I'm gonna, that's going to make me feel real bad. <laughs> okay, then don't say so, anything So funny. I won't try to tell a joke. <laughs> D- let's not that do that. That was a good answer, though. Yes, that was a good answer. Oh, by the way, <laughs> even though we're on Legends Radio, he has no idea who Frank Sinatra really is. I'm serious. No, he said he wasn't sure he liked him all that much. Oh, okay. Okay, so nobody's going to hold that. He's a New Yorker. He's from Brooklyn. He used to talk He should funny. like Sinatra. He had two of the nicest parents in the entire world, my grandparents, and my adorable Uncle Jack was his older brother, who I miss dearly. Uncle Jack, you were a good man. So, yes, we had him in here at one point, and just an unbelievable guy. But we're here to talk about my father. So my father, it's interesting, at one point, like he used to pick his battles, and I'll never forget that when he lived in South Windsor, they were planning on putting a big mall in South Windsor, and his battle was that they didn't want the mall in South Windsor, and they did like a a car parade trying to say why the traffic would be bad and why everything would be bad, 
And he convinced them to move this thing out of South Windsor, which is really interesting. And they moved it to Manchester. I remember this. Okay. Yes, South Windsor was not happy about having the mall there. So South Windsor didn't get the mall, but what they got was the traffic. <laughs> and they didn't get any of the revenue. All they got was the traffic. So that was a battle that he picked and won, but at the end, it was kind of an ugly battle that you won. Do you remember this, Dad? I remember very clearly. Right? Yeah, they wanted to build on a large uh, field that had plenty of acreage, but uh, as, I, as you just said, the people, I got the South, people in South Windsor roused up. <laughs> you did? <laughs> yeah. You convinced them to yeah. move it to Manchester, and all you got was yeah. traffic and yeah. crime. Well, it was still better to, that way than than if they put up that thing in uh, in South Windsor. Okay, so that was one of the battles that he won, but he didn't really win. There was another battle that he actually picked, which I thought was pretty interesting. We're going to talk about that. My father is the father of the Lemon Law. You've all heard of the Lemon Law. The lemon Law, yeah, the, the, the car, yeah. Yes, so. I'm going to let him talk a little about the Lemon Law, but we'll stop him every now and then and ask him some questions. So, Dad, tell us, how in the world did you decide that you were going to be this guy who championed the Lemon Law in Connecticut? Yeah, well, it's a funny thing. It wasn't called the Lemon Law at the beginning, but we was, I was sitting at a coffee break with my coworkers, and one coworker complained he just bought a new car and he's having all kinds of troubles with it. And the warranty was for one year or 10,000 miles, whichever came first. So what happened is after the year expired, I mean, it came up, he still had trouble with the car, but when he brought the car to the dealer, they were charging him to fix what they should have fixed before. But it was more than one thing. So I, I told him, and he said that to, he tried to get a lawyer, but a lawyer wouldn't take the job because there was no money to, to get the repair money and his fee. So he was up a tree. So I, <laughs> so I, I, told, I, I told the group, there was about four or five of us, and I said, the trouble is we complain about it, but we do nothing. Can I tell you real quick the irony of this whole story is? My father used to believe if you spent more than $50 on a used car, you spent $50 too much. Yeah. In fact, he never changed the oil. He always added oil because there was no need to change the oil. It dropped so much. So, yes, yeah, so let's yeah, continue. That's true. <laughs> so I didn't have a new car. So it was no, you might say, well, why, why are you going to bother? But, you know, we'll do with, do with this. So I decided I had a copy machine at home. So I oh, by the way, it wasn't a copy machine. It was one of those old mimeographs yeah, that you smell the ink. Oh. Yeah, a yes. manual copy machine. Yeah. So I printed about 200 copies, and I called it a newsletter. I called it the Soapbox. That's a quote, Soapbox. And the logo was a box with the name with written in the, on the box with Soapbox, and on top of it, a man, like he's talking, you know. So that, that was how it got started. So in, in it, I printed this thing, how unfair it was for new car buyers to, to be stuck with lemons. You know, use the word. And uh, so, so I wrote, wrote and I sent it out to organizations, to consumer protection organizations, each one. I sent it out to, uh, to, to the, uh, the automobile associations. And, uh, and, and so I just sent it out to give, give the information out. I didn't expect anything, but I just wanted to let people know what was happening. 
and then I went to my representative. I lived in Manchester, Connecticut, and I went to my representative and I told him what I just told you that it's not fair. So he said, he said, "Oh, you're right. Uh, we should do something." So I asked him, "Well, what are you going to do?" <laughs> Excuse me, Lenny. Was this a state representative, or was this the the, the U.S. representative? No, the state. The the state. state. Okay. Because uh, yeah. Anyway, I spoke, and he said he was going to put a bill. He called it a bill in a hopper, which meant he's going to put a proposed law into the whatever machinery they use, and uh, so and but within Connecticut, as in other states. Before a bill goes before the full legislature, it goes before a committee. And that's what determines what gets to the full legislature. And I, uh, and he said he was going to be, and I asked him, well, what's the process? And he told me what the process was. So when there was a committee uh, a hearing was scheduled, I, I went there, and the representative didn't show up. He did not show up. My, the representative didn't show up. So anyway, but you know who showed up? A vice president from General Motors showed up at that hearing. Yeah, and new car dealers showed up at that hearing, all opposing that proposal. Now the proposal was for, for instead of one thousand and ten thousand was for five years, and uh, for you know for, for five years and uh, fifty thousand miles. Now. I knew it, that's quite a lot to ask. You're not, not going to get it, but I learned from my from my education because uh, I majored in government that agencies always ask for more money than they really need because they know it's going to be cut. So they never give them an exact figure. <laughs> so, uh, so I learned to ask for more and take less. But uh, so anyway, the the, uh, the committee heard these people. And they have a choice that the committee can say I, you know, for, or they say table. They don't ever say kill. <laughs> they don't say kill. <laughs> but the committee, after hearing everybody speak, uh, didn't uh, tabled it, which meant the, the proposed law was dead. You know, and so that was when the next year. I went back. I ha he was still my representative. I felt the reason why I had to use my own representative. Because if I use a representative that represented other towns or something, it tells something to the legislators. He can't get his own legislative interests. So I had to use my own. And I, I kind of let him have it. I said, you know, you put, the, you put the bill in and you didn't show up at the committee hearing. He said, I forgot what he said. But anyway, he said, well, I'll, next time I'll, I'll put it in. I'll be there. So the next next year, the next uh, legislative session, he put he put the bill in, and I kept calling him and said, "When is the committee hearing?" And he said he didn't know. He'll check. And then one time I I did call him. He said, "Well, the the uh, committee held it, but the wrong committee held it, and I the wrong committee." Now he knows better. <laughs> he knew. I knew that was a, just. But I knew that they didn't want that law passed because that was a dumb reason. But anyway, the following year, I was in South, in South Windsor. I contacted the, my state representative there, and he said that was, oh, yeah, it's a good idea. Good idea. He put the committee, and they had a committee hearing. 
he didn't show up. <laughs> you know, so that tells the rest of the committee, you know, the subcommittee, that you know, if your own boss, if your own representative, you know, is not there, then you can't pass the bill. Then I, uh, I spoke to then he representative when he ran for re-election, he was uh, defeated, and uh, a fellow named John Woodcock the third, he became. The representative. So I approached him, and but before I approached him, things happened. I knew that I had to get wide support, public support for this bill. So what I did is I printed 600 copies. Then I gave, I gave them out to my four kids. Yeah, I gave them out to my four kids. Put them to work, right? Yeah. Put oh yeah, down. four kids, yep. and we went to what is known as the Enfield Mall, which was a large mall near the uh, Massachusetts border. And, and I figured by giving it out, a lot of people are going to see it. Whereas before, was low, I, was, I was known more in, Hart, in the Hartford area. I mean, people in the Hartford area knew me about that. But anyway, I asked the kids to put on only new cars. At that time, you can tell what a new car No, there was, was more to it than that. He told us to make sure we didn't put them on old cars that yeah. had damage because they'd blame us for damaging the car. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. never put a flyer on a broken window. Because they're going to blame you. So, yes. He yeah. wanted new cars, but it was... Though, right? right. Yeah, okay. You I, I that. learned that when I was like eight years <laughs> yeah. old as we're yeah. putting this stuff out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And in the meantime, I rented a, a mailbox at the, at the local post office, you know, so people can reply. I rented it for one month only because people want to you know, write and tell me what they think about it. They do it right away or forget about it. So, of the 600 uh, the copies... I gave out, I got 59 replies, the first, because people had to do it fast, and I said, oh my God, and I said, this is, this is good, and I told John Woodcock, the third, what I did, couldn't show him the comments, because that was personal, I just still couldn't, and then I also gave him information that came from the auto industry itself, the auto industry makers admitted that the lines, the, the, the factory work lines, they had problems, so, so I showed that, to, you know, I gave that in a written article, then the, the uh, reply. So I, I told on Woodcock, I said, I've been to other representatives. They tell me what I want to hear, but they don't do what I want them to do. And I said, if you're going to be like them, don't tell me that. Don't, don't bother. And he said, no, I'll, I'll go over the information. Well, I gave him a lot of information. And he, uh, he said, give me, a, give me a couple of days to, to look at the information, and I'll call you back. About three days later, he said, Leonard, I'm going to fight for it. That's why right. he's going to fight for it. And so that was good. So they put, he proposed the law into the thing, and uh, he, gathered, he gathered people, uh, new car owners who had problems you know, with their car in the first year, and soon after the first year. A number of people had good the first year and the second year, or whatever it was. And he had them lined up at the Capitol, the state Capitol. We had his room, about, about 25 car owners, and some of them had lemons on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, someone had lemons on it, yeah, yeah. And so they had them, this was before the vote, so, you know, and they all had signs about money, how much money they spent in the year, first year or the second year, whatever it was to get it fixed. So every, each car had uh, its own story. So when they did have the vote, by a large majority voted for the law, but they didn't vote for uh, for the five, you know, 5,000 miles or, or the one year thing. They, they voted to improve it for like two years and... Uh, and I think it was twenty five thousand. I wasn't sure of the amount, but it was an improvement. But it was also, it was a, it was but it was also the process in which, if you had certain numbers of claims against a new car, yes. that you now had 
the state would represent you yes so that you could either get a new car or get it fixed yes one or the other and no charge yeah, and his Lemon Law actually created a place for lawyers to become Lemon Law lawyers yeah. to represent owners at yeah, state hearings. So yeah. it created this whole law firm. Okay, so th- that, yeah. Oh, you knew the yeah. lawyers weren't going to be yeah. far behind on this. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, so that that bill passed. The full legislature, both the state senate and the state representative. Uh, and uh, and after that, I got calls from, I was interviewed by newspapers, you know, local uh, uh, the Hartford Times at that time, and I had a, uh, I was on TV for at one of these anchor news anchors just for kids of a short snippet, uh, you know, to tell them about that. But one of the results of that Lemon Law is that new car dealers in Massachusetts, of course, I didn't Enfield right through Massachusetts, were buying their new cars not in Massachusetts but in Connecticut because Connecticut law says we buy a new car in Connecticut doesn't matter where you live and that was happening in New York state on the west part western part of Connecticut that's the same thing and in New York same thing so the new car deals on the borders were losing sales because of that so what happened each state passed let's see so Massachusetts passed the lemon law New York passed the lemon law and uh, let's see, it was that's and uh, yeah, New York. I think Pennsylvania had part of New so York. So it was the model of your lemon law yes. that was passed in Connecticut that they used to try and pass yes. other laws in Massachusetts and New York. Because yeah. you said these dealers, if you're on Massachusetts border, go to Connecticut, you got protection. You're in Massachusetts, you got nothing. And yeah. and this was yeah. what year? Somewhere around yeah. this would have been around seventy five, I think. What year was this, Dad? What year? Yeah. Well, it happened in the late seventies because it was a process. Seventies, mm-hmm. late seventies, and uh, but uh, John Woodcock was invited from by several states to, to address their legislature and tell them exactly what process, what the process was. Yeah. He also introduced me to the head of the uh, the, uh, the state legis- the state legislature because they wanted to meet the, they wanted to meet me. They wanted to see me in person, and so I met with them. You know, so that was interesting. And, uh, yeah. It's funny because John Woodcock took a lot of claim for this law. But when my father retired as a social worker from the state of Connecticut, he showed up at his retirement party and gave him a congressional That's recognition right. for being the guy that was the father of the Lemon Law. It was yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. He came yeah, he came to my retirement party from the state. Yeah. So th- that's, uh, that's, uh, that's about it. And he kicked back from the lawyers or anything? And no. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, that didn't make a dime on the whole thing, no. (laughs) Yeah, but what happened... But he made enemies with the Connecticut State Dealers, uh, Auto Dealers Association. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, it spread like a domino effect. Every state in the union passed a lemon law. Not right, but each one. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, I heard that one state, I won't mention it, got rid of the lemon law. And the people were so upset, they had to vote it back in. (laughs) You know, crazy. So you are the father of the lemon law. Well, I didn't call myself the father of the law. What <laughs> did people, they call you? Other people called me the father of the lemon law. The crazy old guy from New York that decided to do something? Yeah. But yeah. Well, the, but, the, the but auto dealers a, called them something yeah. else, I'm sure. Yeah. But I think it, was, it wasn't long after that that all of a sudden uh, new car warranties all of a sudden became changed a little bit i think was it chrysler that had the first five year fifty thousand i want to say that was first year was ten thousand yeah but that's good though but i think that was when lee iacocca was going on there and says i'm going to stand behind everything when they yeah and junk yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and uh he changed he changed chrysler a lot because he introduced the um 
the Aries, I believe it was. That was the one of the cars that saved Chrysler. Yeah. Uh, it was the Aries and the minivan. And well, the minivan came just after that, which was okay. I have to mention something that uh, uh, one representative I met, I, uh, I spoke to. First name was James. I don't remember his last name, but he he proposed a bill for me. You know, put it in. He said, "I'm not going to put it in as a constituent, you know, a constituent <laughs> bill, as being my own bill." Because when you present bills and and legislators, you're a congressman or say they a constituent. They put have two ways: their own bill or constituents' bill. The constituents' bill is not worth anything. So anyway, he got up and spoke at the committee. He said, "You know, if the automakers don't uh, step up on their quality control, I said they're going to lose a lot of business to foreign automakers." At that time, the foreign automakers, especially Volkswagen were making small inroads, and Toyota was making sto- small inroads into the market. And he said, if they keep up, those foreign companies are going to take over the market. And sure enough, but even though he spoke about it, and what he said was true, they still tabled it. Although he made a good argument for the, uh, uh, what we now know is a lemon law, but still tabled it. But then uh, when, uh, when Woodcock got in, that's you know I told you about what, how it happened you know what. But Woodcock was a wealthy guy that had money. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't rely, I believe, on auto industry to give him money for no right. his reelection yeah. and everything else. It Be- took somebody yeah. who had the fortitude to say, "I could get elected again without having the auto industry in my pocket." He did get reelected, right? <laughs> no. But but there's a story. But there's there's something about the story is I was told over and over again, you can't fight City Hall. Now, City Hall is a, is a name for government. It was, you know, and they were, I heard that many times, you're fighting City Hall. It gave me something to think about. I said, if you have a, if you have a cause, and a cause, you have to speak about it and see if you want to go further. That's when I was told that you can't fight City Hall. You know? But I didn't listen to them, and I fought it. And I was encouraged by my wife, who's, who, my dear wife, who has passed away in a, couple of years, a couple of years ago. And she encouraged me to do what it, she, you know, she, if she discouraged me, I think I would have had to stop. But wasn't it more Lenny, go get a hobby, leave me alone? I <laughs> 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 yeah. love my stepmom. She's yeah. a good lady. Yeah, yeah but, uh, but the thing is, uh, doing that, you know, doing what I was doing meant I lost vacation time from my job, you know, so our vacations were cut short. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but anyway, it it teaches a lesson that if you're fighting for a cause, you gotta make up your mind. Either you're gonna fight all the way, or don't fight at all. Well, mm-hmm. if the causes, if there is whatever a, cause it is, if the, if you have a cause and the cause is just, then you fight right. for it. You fight, but you can't go heavy. You can't be discouraged. And I I tell people, other people are, are going to discourage you, and that's what happened with me. I was discouraged the whole time. And this was after five representatives. <laughs> you know, get them. You so, know what I'm curious about, Lenny, is at the beginning, the, the person that had the bad car, I'm just wondering, what kind of car was this that he was complaining about? I'm just now... Yeah. I, I'm well, it wasn't any particular car, but it was new cars in general. But the cars that showed up at the state house were cars from, uh, from General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler. <laughs> So it was well. They had the market back then. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they had the market the, then. Yeah. yeah, the introduction of the yeah, uh, yeah. small, the, the Toyotas yeah. and the Datsuns yeah. didn't come in until until the uh, gas crisis, and because they had the 
four-cylinder engines. They weren't the gas guzzlers that uh, that Detroit was putting out at the time because all the Detroit cars were eight cylinders. Yeah, well, I tell you, another consequence of the Lemon Law is that the automakers started using a quality, better quality control, so they were making better cars. Mm-hmm. And because they were making better cars, they were able to increase... The, you know, instead of one year, it was two. Different states mm-hmm. had different uh, okay, so one Dad, year, uh, two years, three years. We need to wrap this up, but I have to believe that you're responsible for helping automakers make better cars. Yes. Because right. the Lemon Law <laughs> yeah, yeah. was holding them responsible yeah. that if they yeah. put crap out, that it was going to cost them. They were yes. being held accountable. They had to step up their game. Right. Yeah. There, there were no but, more 76 Pintos coming out there. <laughs> but, Hallelujah. But it, so, so, Dad, I got to tell you, I'm proud of you. You're a crazy old goat. I love you. (laughs) We're so glad that you were here. But Marcelo let you talk way too much. We've got to end this because Don's telling me that we're out of time. Don, tell him. We are out of time. We're out of time. But that's a great story. That is a great story. Dad, last question. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Dad, last question. Do you have any regrets about not being a business owner? I know you had four kids. You had to feed the family. And you took a job as a social worker for the state of Connecticut. Well, I majored in government. Right. So that's why it was not... It wasn't something I thought at the last minute. You should have been an elected official. Well, I didn't want to go into the political part of government. <laughs> well, to help people, right? Like, that's the, the social worker. I mean, I'm sure it came in handy raising you, yeah? I don't think so. <laughs> but, but a few I, of my I, siblings, maybe. <laughs> I wish I had more time to tell you that the straw that broke, that broke the camel's back, giving out those 600 things. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that, that, that's my kids. Well, you, called, had to get, you yeah. had to get them out of the house and it's to called do something. Chi- child labor laws that would be an issue right now. So <laughs> oh, yes. that's another. That's a, yeah. I oh, think it was getting I you guys out of come the house. On. <laughs> yeah, you have to get out of here. I wish I can come on for a couple of causes that I'm too old to to fight for right now. Because mm-hmm. you need time. But I love to get on it so and we'll say what the cause. Is. We can bring it back. Bring and somebody back. pick up what to tell them that we need somebody to pick up the ball and, and run with and it. Run with it. Oh, you're still young enough. You could do it. No. <laughs> your brother your brother was 101 when he passed. You're only How 95. Old are you? 95. Yeah, but it took a 5 years for See, you <laughs> to got get time. That. You're a union. I had the pleasure of your uncle in here. Uncle His Jack. brother, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm clear. I, I have to thank you for having me. And, uh, well, this, I never had an here. interview like this. My interviews are always short. All the, the reporters from Times was, was a little lengthy. Of course, they wanted background why and what. Oh, when, yeah. Uh, yeah. But this was before the law was passed then. But after the law was passed, I had more people <laughs> interview me. Yeah. Dad, thanks for being here. You're a good man. I love you. I love you too, Alan. Thank you, Dad. Okay. Thanks, Lenny. I'm surprised. I, I don't exactly. <laughs> I like you, but I don't love you. Okay, so. <laughs> and I never really liked him anyway. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Secret to My Success on Legends 100.3. 